at least from what I've heard, when you're building a story, like there's the three important pillars. There's characters, there's plot, and then there's like themes. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just don't need any of that. <laughs> no, apparently <laughs> just not. Just chuck that out the window. <laughs> Greetings, travelers! Welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your animal companions, Fox and Sparrow. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> it's March, so <laughs> we, we we went on theme this month with our story. <laughs> okay, it's fine. It's fine. We got this. We got this. <laughs> this is the energy we're just starting off on. It's gonna be great, travelers. I promise. <laughs> Like, we don't care if you're having a top of the morning, because we are. <laughs> I mean, technically for me, it is absolutely top of the morning to you. So, hope you're all having a great day. So, if you've been following us on Twitter or over on Mastodon, then you will know that we have brought you this fantastic tale from Ireland today. This story comes from Peter Henry Emerson's Welsh fairy tales and other stories as were relayed to him and through his notes on William Williams' observation on the Snowdon Mountains. However, I promise you, despite the title, his collection has some French, Irish, and other tales as well. So this tale is called Billy, Duffy, and the Devil, and it relays a Faustian pact where a character makes a bargain with the devil, but also it's one of those folk tales that explains the creation of a natural phenomenon. You'll have to listen to the end of the story to find out which one, though. Very much like our Why the Sea is Salt, you're following the tale, and we've mentioned now that, like it's an explanation story, but you're going to forget about it halfway through. And at the very end, you'll be like, wait, where is it? Ah, here it is. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. I get it now. <laughs> Honestly... Like the Sea of Salt, I remember that one just being absolutely bonkers. And then this one as well. I when you when you sent it to me, I was just like, what is happening in this story? It's very tropey, but also catches you off guard. But it's also quite long. Like it's not just like one event happens, a series of events happen and they all just kind of compound. So it's one of those ones where it's like halfway through you kind of ask yourself, why? why is the story being told and honestly the answer i think is just because it's so much fun yeah this story is just a fun story uh sometimes we have like educational stories or things that are trying to be philosophical in its own right this one's just like no what if we had lots of fun at the end someone's like i thought you were gonna explain this thing and they're like shut up here it is (laughs) (laughs) it's like there's the explanation now back to the story (laughs) I think that's what makes it fun. Sometimes we do deep dives on, you know, St. George and the Dragon. We do literary analysis of things like Beowulf. And then sometimes we're like, you want to hear about Billy Duffy. And there's no option to skip this episode. You have to listen to it. It is going to make your spring that much more springy. Yeah, you will have a spring in your step after this. It'll be like, yes. (laughs) So you want a story? Well, it just so happens that we have one. So let's make a deal. But don't worry about the details. The devil isn't there. But he is in today's tale of Billy Duffy and the devil. There was once an Irish blacksmith named Billy Duffy. However, if you were looking for Billy Duffy, you were more likely to find him at a pub rather than his forge. You see, our friend here was a bit of a drunkard and would only work to earn some coin to fund his hobby. Once he had some cash, he would drink until he was flat broke after which 
he would return to work only to repeat the process. One day, Billy Duffy was walking home after one of these drinking binges, and he felt awful as he was a bit soberer than he usually was and cried out, by God, I would sell myself to the devil if I could get some more drink. (laughs) Seemingly out of nowhere, a tall gentleman dressed in black approaches Billy Duffy and asks, What did you say? Hmm, I wonder who this could be. Probably normal, not at all important guy just coming out of the shadows. (laughs) The devil just hangs around waiting for people to summon him. It's kind of sad. It's like, are you the devil or are you a genie? Pick. I like how excited he is, too. He's like, what did you say? You want a deal? Mm-hmm. It's like one of those like tropey villains that shows up just to be the villain, but they're not very good at it. So it's kind of like, OK, I guess you're here, but we're not really going to fight you or anything. You can just exist. I guess this is how warlock packs happen. You just got to summon them. And be like, I'm ready. <laughs> Take me. You're like, I'm looking for a patron. And then someone yells out, Polo. And they show up. <laughs> Finding a patron, but it's just playing Marco Polo or hide and seek first. But no, it's the literal soul of Marco showing up and being like, will you be my Polo? Oh, <laughs> that'd be cute if it wasn't just creepy. But also, I think it's just, it's fun. It's, you know, if you're the devil, you have eternity. You're just milling around doing your hellish business. Sometimes you just want to, you know, go steal some souls. This is the devil we hear about. Because I'm always just like, the devil's probably really busy. You know, because I'm thinking of, like, Hades. Here, we have one of those, like, comic devils that just, you know, goes around stealing children's souls. If you don't eat, like, all of the things on your plate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we call him the devil. I'm, are we... This is post-Christianization, so I'm assuming we're referring to actually the devil, and this is not just, like, a fiendish creature. That's the what I'm assuming, but I'm not positive. It's not very clear. It's hard because with a lot of these kind of older stories, they have been changed to kind of fit in a post-Christian world, or they might have been stories that were relayed to the writers, and then they changed it to fit their own kind of mindset, the same way that Beowulf was. Obviously, you know, a pagan story, but then the writer added in his own or her own kind of religious ideologies and ideas. So it could be the same way where this wasn't really the devil. It was a fiendish creature, like a fae or something. And then they had to kind of switch it to the devil afterwards. So it could be the devil. It could be a devil. I like to think it's the devil, like big D devil. Like he's just the one. And this is what he chooses to do. Billy Duffy explains to this totally normal human that he would sell himself to the devil if he could get a drink. And at this point, the text then drops the facade and it's like, yeah, no, this is the devil. And they just start addressing him as such. And he asks what Billy D would want in exchange for the devil taking him after seven years. But, you know, souls are important and Billy just feels like he couldn't put a price on it when push comes to shove. So the devil's like, how about 700 pounds? That work? And Billy's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> 700 pounds that feels like a low number for my soul if you ask me how much would you ask in exchange for you know your soul I, it would largely depend on if i was religious or not at the time i think obviously if i'm looking at the actual devil i'd kind of put a little bit more weight to my soul because i'd be like oh, okay this, this is all real fine great uh no deal just because if the devil exists that means there must be some kind of counterpart to it Mm -hmm. if i was just like you know saying things for the sake of saying things 
I don't really know. Like maybe like a hundred trillion. <laughs> it's like where would I put all that money? <laughs> like logistically, I'm like, where would I put a hundred trillion? Or do I ask for a lower amount of money so I won't be like on a hit list or a government watch list or something and then live off of the interest of that money? But I'm not like smart enough to know how much money I need that I can live off just the interest and not the principal amount. But it definitely wouldn't be 700. However, I remember reading this and thinking this number is quite low. Like I don't think I'd sell myself for like 100 you know, pounds a year because that's what it equates to when you have the 700 by the seven years. Um, so I did some math, which is usually what you do. But I was like, let me Ooh. let me dive into this. Well, I kind of did it because I already had an idea of the amount it was worth. Um, so sadly, this is more literary than it is math. Well, this is why you were more w- willing to do it. And I was like, ah, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> well, because I have a book. so emerson collected these stories in 1891 and 1892 that's not the date of publication but that's the date in his foreword where he says that he was in wales and these stories were collected now i've read a bit about wages in the victorian era and afterwards because we studied charles dickens extensively in university and obviously he writes a lot about the class struggles And one of the sources we used was A.L. Bowley's Wages in the United Kingdom in the 19th Century. Obviously, I'll link the book and the charts in our website show notes. But for context, in the 1860s to the 1900s, wages for good blacksmiths averaged about 50 pounds annually in Wales. And this is a general number based on the censuses and notes provided. And obviously blacksmiths weren't just people like Billy Duffy who worked in the actual blacksmithy, but people who also worked with them. And depending on how talented you were and how big your kind of area was and your business was, you would hire assistants and other people to do the actual work for you. So this is just an average number, about 50 pounds a year. And this is considered a really good salary. Like 50 pounds a year is a good salary to have for someone who's working class. Um, So Billy Duffy probably went from about 50 pounds, assuming he's a good, you know, blacksmith, which I don't think we can, but let's (laughs) say he was. And there was lots of work. He was making 50 pounds and he is now making about a hundred pounds. So he's doubled his salary and he's not having to do anything with it. So he doesn't have to rely on work. He's not relying on um, getting projects done. He's just been given a hundred pounds, which is mind blowing. And then just for context, using the English pound. So 700 pounds in 1891 would equal to about 70,000 pounds today. So it's still not a lot considering today's kind of buying power and the price and the cost of living obviously has gone yeah. up. So I'm not sure if I would do it for about 10,000 pounds a year. But if it was double my salary a year, I would do it. it just, you know, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> just, just throwing that out there in case anybody just wants to show up, pop into existence out of nowhere and being like, hey. Well, listen, apparently the devil isn't doing much. So I'm like, hey, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm around. <laughs> hey so doubling his salary like makes a little more sense. And so, yeah, he agrees. And once he returns home, he finds the promised money pile in his smithy. Gleefully, he begins squandering the money as fast as he possibly can. Of course, word quickly went around that Billy D was now loaded and people flocked to him. One person who came was an old hermit who asked for food and water. 
and Billy graciously invited him into his home and gave him all the food and drink that he wanted. So, you know, he's wasting his money away, but at least he's being nice about it. A few months later, the same hermit reappears with the same request. Again, Billy welcomes the hermit in and they eat and drink together uh, before he is completely full. Several months later, the hermit returns once again and Billy Duffy gives him the same warm welcome. Once the hermit has eaten his fill, he thanks him for his kindness and said he would give him three wishes. Surprisingly, Billy spends the night contemplating what his wishes will be. By the following morning, he tells the hermit that he is ready. I mean, this is like a classic three wishes kind of trope. Oh, yes, we're here. Three wishes. And it's unlike the genie, he doesn't give the restrictions. Like, I can't kill anybody. It can't, like, get them to fall in love with you. I just, like, Billy Duffy might be one of the luckiest people in the world. Like, he's, he's like, I'll sell my soul to the devil. The devil appears. And then out of doing nothing, like, he does nothing to summon this hermit. The hermit just appears as well and gives him these three wishes. I wonder if the hermit is just the devil, like, kind of like, ah, let me just give him these three wishes. He'll wish that I don't, he doesn't have to deal with me anymore, and I don't have to do this. But obviously not. So if this is, like, originally Irish tale that's been like changed post-Christianization I think we can assume that these are just different fairy and fae like creatures that are probably chaotically working against each other is what I would assume I feel like that makes more sense in the grand scheme of things but I definitely choose to believe that this is like some sort of fairy like creature that's here to be chaotic after having thought about these wishes he points to a big sledgehammer that he uses for his smithing And he wishes that whoever holds the hammer will continuously strike the anvil and never break it until he commands them to stop. Now, if you think this is a terrible wish, you are not the only one. The hermit tells Billy straight up that this is a terrible wish. But Billy insists that it is brilliant. For his second wish, he wishes for a purse that no one can remove whatever he puts in it. This wish seems a bit better. It kind of reminds me of a bag of holding, which can be very handy. But the hermit thinks this is another wasted wish and tells him to think carefully about his last one. Billy explains that he has an armchair in his home, and he wishes that whoever sits in it cannot leave the chair until he allows it. While the hermit complains that all these wishes were not good, Billy was very happy with himself and argued that no. These will be good. I will make them into good wishes. So we have (laughs) a cursed hammer and a bag that no one else can take stuff out of except for him and a cursed armchair. Not exactly what I would pick, but, you know, to each his own, I guess. I feel like there are better ways to get the exact same results. And this is just like a convoluted way to do it. Exactly. This just seems like, I mean, in the very beginning, we did say, like, this is just one of those nonsense stories that are told (laughs) to be funny. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we have the rule of three, so we have the three wishes, and then three events need to happen. It's just ridiculous, though. It's kind of like, why? Why is all of this happening? You could have just finished this by asking for a sensible wish. But then we wouldn't have this story, so... Could he not make a wish to break his pack with the devil and be like, I just want to keep my money and not face the consequences? Was that not an option? And then for his second wish, then he could ask for infinite money. Yeah. I feel like that way it's a win-win without this whole devil embarrassing thing. But maybe this is just 
what he wanted to do. He wanted this to be humiliating for the devil and he wanted to show him a lesson. What if this hermit actually knew about the deal of the devil and it was his goal in life to like go to everyone who made a deal and try and get them out of it and he's just waiting like desperately like just tell me to break it like I can do it man let me add it and he's just like nope <laughs> nope not gonna do that okay sure he's trying to help him he's trying to help him oh poor hermit and so time passes and three days before the seven years were up the gentleman enters the forge to see Billy working away because to no one's surprise, Billy had already spent all his money. So the gentleman tells him that he could have as much money as he wanted for his last three days. So on the final night, Billy went to his favorite tavern and told all the other drinkers there that he would give them a pound so that they would have money to drink. Placing his tankard in the middle of the table, he wishes for 20 pounds. At that moment, a fireball crashes through the ceiling and 20 sovereigns land in his tankard. Everyone was stunned at the sight of the fireball and the explosive sound that accompanied it. Naturally. I'm glad some people have some common sense to be surprised by these things. <laughs> but nobody decided to think really hard about this since now they had money to drink, so they drank the night away. I feel bad for the tavern owner, though. There's now just suddenly a hole in his roof. I mean, he's making money, so he should be fine. He can just be like, oh, Billy, I'll just add this to your tab. A renovation. Yeah. Just a quick note here. Sovereigns is a type of coin that was used in British currency during the 1800s, and it was essentially equivalent to one pound, as we kind of see here. So yeah, just kind of a fancy coin, really. Yeah, and then of course, afterwards... British currency and the Irish currency, and it's just, it became a mess, didn't it? The next morning, Billy was working away in a smithy, making a pair of horseshoes. The devil entered and told him it was time that he took him. Billy agrees, but asks the devil to take his sledgehammer and help him finish this last job. Of course, when the devil picks up the sledgehammer and starts hammering, he finds that he cannot stop. Billy D laughs and laughs and locks him in the smithy for three days straight. When he returns, the devil acknowledges that he has been tricked and offers Billy seven more years, twice the money, and two days grace for wishing what he would like. Billy accepts, releases the devil, and spends his second fortune as quickly as the first. It's always ironic to me that in all of these like tricking the devil stories, it seems like the devil is really, really gullible and sometimes just plain stupid. And again, we mentioned this a bit earlier, but it could be because they've just swapped out the whatever pagan creature was there before, whatever mythical creature was there before with the devil to make it make sense with Christianity. But it's just so odd because I'm like, you would expect the devil to be a little bit smarter at least. Mm -hmm. um, like at least give him a fair shot. I get they're supposed to be comedic and funny, but it's kind of like, please, don't be... Like, I feel sympathetic to the devil at this point. He made a deal. He's holding to his promise. He gave Billy seven years of, you know, worth of money, and he left him alone. He gave him the three days before to have as much money as he wants. And he's just getting screwed over time and time again. So I'm just kind of like, mm, whose side am I on? Yeah, this doesn't really make me as afraid of the devil as just afraid of humanity. Um, so I feel like it's a really weird move to be like, yeah, it's not a fae creature. It's, um, it's a devil. It's like, fae makes more sense. It definitely does. <laughs> it does. Cause you're like, you could, you can out trick, you know, a creature 
Yeah. But the actual devil, I have a little bit of a hard time believing you can just trick him. Exactly. And this is where I come back to. I'm not sure if it's the devil. I feel like it has to be a devil, you know, because it just feels really weird. But either way, it's it's really interesting because this is not the only time it happens in fairy tales and folklore. Like, I feel like there's other stories I've read, too, where the devil's getting tricked. And it's like, well, this is stupid. Like, sometimes it's a really clever way it's done, but not always. Here it's just silly. I just feel bad. I'm just like the devil keeps coming over trying to do his job and he's just being bullied. To be fair, at this point, the devil seems more like the reaper. And I'm sure yeah. they must have been, you know, similar entities or whatever. But it does seem like he's playing more of the reaper role, kind of like we see in some modern day media, like with um, J.K. Rowling's Tales of the Beetle Bard. That's kind of what they're going for, where you have the reaper who's coming to do his job. And you don't expect a lot from the Reaper, really, but instead it's the devil. Yeah. It's literally just the label thing that seems to be the issue for us. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, who are you? <laughs> You've chosen the wrong label, my friend. <laughs> See, I think it, would, it makes sense to me if this was just some kind of fake creature that was then turned into the devil. Because then I'd be a little bit more like, oh, okay, so this is trickery involved and magic and less about... He's doing a rebranding. <laughs> yeah, he's just rebranding. <laughs> look Faye is out no one wants to be associated with fairies anymore i'm trying this new edgy thing called the devil grr (laughs) oh my gosh it's just a teenage Faye creature going through angst okay i'm okay with mom i'm different now i'm different now i'm not like you you just trick people sillily i'm gonna be serious when i trick people devil Faye, grim reaper whatever you call him he leaves well enough alone and seven years pass so once again billy duffy returns to his favorite tavern on his final night but this time he wishes for only five pounds at the moment of his wish a little man enters and spits the sovereigns into his tankard not as dramatic as the fireball but at least there's no damage to the building this time so everyone drinks the night away the following morning billy returned to his smithy The devil, who has rightly become suspicious of Billy, disguised himself as a sovereign and appeared on the floor in front of him. But somehow Billy D knew it was him, so he picked up the coin and put it in his magic purse. Placing the bag on the anvil, he begins to hammer it, and the devil cries out in pain, begging him to stop. Long story short, Billy gets seven more years, three times the original sum of money, and one day's grace where he can wish for whatever he likes. Once again, he wastes and gambles the money away long before the seven years are up. And once again, he goes to the same tavern for his final night, and this time wishes for a tankard full of sovereigns. Now, this time there's no fireball. There's no just little man. This time, a straight-up fiendish creature appears to give him the money. See this? little fiendish creature enter the tavern people finally start to ask billy about what's going on but he quickly dismisses them this is the thing i love about the story is there's always these questions i have about like what about the people around him do they acknowledge this or whatever um but there's usually a person in the story echoing that like there's a guy in the tavern going everything okay billy (laughs) this seems uh kind of crazy he's like nah it's fine don't worry i'm not worried or like I say this is a stupid wish, and the hermit's like there to give back me up and be like, "Yeah, this is a dumb wish, dude." 
I like the confidence, though. I like that he's just able to say, ah, don't worry, I got this, and then goes toe-to-toe with the devil. It's so weird because there's nothing else about him that indicates he's really that smart or clever, but somehow he is. I don't know. It's the lazy smart people, the ones who want to do as little work as possible, but they have the cleverest ways of getting around it. Mm, Fair. There's always that one person in your life you're like, how on earth are you living that lifestyle? And I know you don't do anything. (laughs) Exactly. You're like, why why are you on vacation all the time? And it's just because they're smart. They're lazy, but they're smart. The following morning, he goes to a smithy, but the devil doesn't go anywhere near it. (laughs) He's just like, nope, not touching that with a 10-foot pole. So, after a while, Billy goes home and begins to quarrel with his wife. Now, I really love how stories will just randomly add a spouse character into the mix late in the story. This has happened several times. Based on Billy's work ethic and his personality, I just assumed he was single up to now. But... Guess he's married this whole time, and she's never been important till this moment. Do you think she knew about this devil business? I mean, she had to have known that he's spending lots and lots of money at the tavern, and yet not spending any time at work. So you'd have to guess, like, where is this money coming from? Maybe she's okay with it. Like, times were different. She was like, all right, he's going to the pub after work. It's fine. Billy! Billy! Why are you not at work? Why? Everyone says you're a drunkard. Oh, you bought me a nice hat. All right, I'm fine with this. Honestly, it sounds like Billy was not a hard worker, so I doubt they were even making the 50 pounds a year. So now having more money might be nice. And also, like, he did say earlier that he had lots of food and drink and stuff at his own house as well that he was able to share with the hermit. So if your husband was a lazy do-nothing and now he's a rich do-nothing, you're kind of like, well, this is better. I suppose. It's just just an improvement on your life in general. Anyways, she's never mentioned again. We just find out that he's quarreling with his wife. The only part we need. It's literally the only time. They're going to quarrel, and then she she might as well, like, disappeared into the wind. While they were quarreling, the devil comes into the home and tells Billy that it was time. Billy D says he wants to finish putting a few papers together and will not be more than two minutes. So the devil sits in an armchair while he waits. Of course, if you're wondering, hmm, armchair, have we heard that before? You would be correct. Billy runs to his smithy and grabs a heated pair of red hot tongs. With this, he grabs the devil's nose and begins to pull. The devil yells in pain, but is unable to leave the chair as Billy continues to pull his soft nose, stretching it across the room. See, I remember, I remember when I read this, I was like, I've heard of this nose stretching business before. Um, And I was able to trace it back to St. Dustin pulling the nose of the devil who was trying to tempt him by disguising himself as a woman. And there's actually a really cool folk rhyme that goes, St. Dustin, as the story goes, once pulled the devil by the nose with red hot tongs, which made him roar that he heard three miles or more. So there is some history to this story, and Billy is obviously well-read on the saints, so he knew exactly what to do. Ah, exactly what I expected from our boy Billy here, to be well-read up on the saints. Of course. But yeah, I do like that. I appreciate that he's taking something he's already heard and just applying it, being like, yes, this makes sense. And it does work for him. (laughs) I did not know of that folklore. All I was thinking of was Pinocchio. (laughs) 
and I was oh, like, yes, the other nose. <laughs> that's the closest thing I got. There's nothing to do with lying, really, in this. Trickery, sure, but it's not the same. It's a stretch, <laughs> like his nose. The devil's shrieks echo throughout the village. For days, it continued as Billy went about his business, not letting him leave the armchair. Finally, the devil calmed down and asked what Billy Duffy wanted. He told the devil he wanted to live the rest of his life without him and to have as much gold as he liked. The devil agreed, and so Billy released him. Billy quickly became very rich and lived to a very, very old age. Eventually, Billy Duffy passes away, and his soul goes to the gates of hell. The clerk asks for his name, to which he responds by saying he is Billy Duffy. The devil, who is nearby, hears this and orders the gates to be double-locked, for Billy Duffy would ruin them if he got in. Imagine having that power that the devil hears your name is like, nope, 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 get out, 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 out. You're not allowed to be here. You're going to ruin everything. Says the devil to you. <laughs> it's some power move right there. For some reason, there was a pair of red hot tongs nearby. So for old time's sake, Billy grabs the tongs and pulls the devil's nose once more. This time, he pulls off a small hot red piece of his nose in the tongs. That's just mean. That's right? just mean. There's no reason to do that. I'm more confused that there was a red hot tongs just lying around to begin with, but then to be like, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound is kind of just so rude. <sighs> He's just so mean. I could see why the devil's kind of like, I don't want you around. An eternity with you? No, thank you. You're too mean for me. <laughs> <laughs> Taking his cue to leave, Billy runs to the gates of heaven. St. Peter asked who he was, and he told him he was Billy Duffy, the blacksmith. St. Peter tells him that there is no admittance for him as he is a bold and bad man. Billy wanders back to earth as he helplessly wonders what he should do now. Soon after, he and that piece of the devil's nose melt together into a ball of fire. They say he still roams the earth today as a will-o'-the-wisp. And that is our story of Billy Duffy and the Devil. And the question we were all asking when we first started, where do Will the Wisps come from? Yes, of course. I read the title and I was like, this is the unexpected plot twist I am waiting for. Right? <laughs> but you see what I mean when I say there's just so much packed in this story. Like we oh. have the three wishes, we have the hermit, we have the very obvious drinking problem for some reason. Yep. We have fireballs and little, like, messengers, and we have the devil. And then there's like, this entire side plot where we're wondering where his wife's been the whole time. Yeah, she shows up for two lines and then is gone, never to be spoken of again. But I think this is a really good one to start kind of a lighter month, obviously, because, you know, the winter months are quite heavy and dark and you want kind of more serious stories to keep you warm or like, you know, fun stories. But this is just a ridiculous story to be like, happy March. I hope, you know, I hope your March is full of silliness because the story is just crazy. Whenever I find a story, I always am trying to find like silly stories or stories that I think are just random and different. <laughs> they might not be straight up silly. Like the last one I, I picked was the... um the daughter of the sword and i just remember seeing that antagonist being like this is a crazy antagonist we need to talk about him this everything was insanity from like sentence three or something i was like yes 
we are doing this story. I like it. I like the stories that catch you off guard because as a listener of podcasts and specifically like storytelling podcasts, I like to hear things that make me just, you know that face you make when something is just weird and you look at your partner and you just kind of make that like scrunched up face where you're like, what is happening? Do we just hear the same thing? I like podcasts that do that. I like stories that don't make sense that, you know, we're part of a time that we told stories like this. And you know what? I think there's lots of podcasts that talk about, you know, the Greek myths and liter- like literature. So it's nice to have just random stories from around. Like our, we should be tales from the random void. Like we just pick random stories. No matter what the culture is, which like what time period it's in. We're just like, let's find weird stories to share. Yeah. But not just that. Like anyone can make a ridiculous <laughs> bonker story. But then it needs to like survive. Like this story survived. <laughs> yeah, someone told Emerson this story. Like someone sat there and told Emerson this story and he wrote it down. Can you imagine like collecting stories and being like, okay, like just give me, you know, your Welsh stories. And someone's like, well, I don't have a Welsh story, but I have an Irish story. And you're kind of like, okay, that's not really what I'm looking for, but all right. And then they tell you this story and you're kind of like, right, I have to put this in my book. This needs to go in my book my book on welsh fairy tales yeah i think it was probably he started off with being purely welsh stories but then he just met enough people along the way with these insane stories and he's like okay i'm just gonna tack on these ones as well but just because they're amazing (laughs) (laughs) and actually that's something i really like about some of the the books we find a lot of them are like obviously it'd be really nice to hear from original sources or people Mm -hmm. who are closer to the time period obviously of when the stories were created But I think having story collections is quite neat because you have these stories that were obviously told and then told again and then retold Mm -hmm. and then someone had to tell it to the writer for them to put it in their collection of books. So it was a story worth telling and retelling. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that, you know, we, during our generations, we have stories that we tell and then they get retold and then they get collected and then they get shared in the future because I think that'd be neato. I also like looking through books like that because then you'll read a story like this and be like, and he roams the earth today as a will-o'-the-wisp. You flip the page and it's like, now let's talk about how Mother Goose became queen of a kingdom and the donkey is her servant. It's like, there's always these jumps that happen between them, which are always just so funny for me. In this book by Emerson, I was flipping through to be like, oh, I wonder what other tales are. And there's literally one of like a goat that refuses to come down and graze on like this monstrous field because he's like if I come down you'll eat me and it's like one page long and it's just someone thought this was important enough to write down and tell as a story and I think that's fantastic I'm like someone read the story of a goat or heard the story of a goat who doesn't want to get eaten and shared it with someone else and then at the end of it you're kind of like was there a plot no were there any you know characters not really there's a goat and there's like this monster okay but like it's just it's fun I think they're just fun semblances of what makes people laugh yeah at least from what I've heard when you're building a story like there's the three important pillars there's characters there's plot and then there's like themes mm-hmm. but sometimes you just don't need any of that <laughs> no apparently <laughs> just not chuck that out the window it's like what's the point of this story I don't know did I enjoy mm-hmm. it yes yes Sometimes just, you know, being entertained is enough. And then we can talk about it. Why was it entertaining? And break it down that way. So we can have lots of fun there. 
Well, talking about things that are fun to talk about and to break down, let's go to our five fantastic finds, where surprisingly enough, there are still interesting, fascinating facts to discover about this weird oddball of a story. A Faustian pact is where someone trades their soul or something immensely valuable for a worldly benefit like money, knowledge, power, or fame. The term comes from the legend of Dr. Faust, which has many iterations. But in the general storyline, Faust is unsatisfied with his life and calls upon the devil to give him more knowledge and power. Mephistopheles appears and strikes a deal to serve Faust for a few years, but at the end, Faust's soul would belong to the devil. In some dramas, Faust is ultimately saved by God, but in the earlier legends, he has to uphold his deal and goes to hell. Tricking the devil tales are all over modern and classic media. For example, in classic literature, we have Oscar Wilde's Picture of Dorian Gray, but then we also have Disney's Heracles and Princess and the Frog. And others include parts of the Shrek franchise, where Shrek makes deals with Rumpelstiltskin. We have the Owl House, Star Wars, and Phantom of the Opera. Obviously, there are so many stories, and you can see more of them on our website. We criticize Billy Duffy for what he used his three wishes on, but let's be honest. We're just jealous that he lucked out in getting the wishes in the first place. And he didn't even need to brave a dangerous cave of wonders like Aladdin did. The Hermit in today's story gives Billy three wishes because he was kind to him three times, but the three wishes trope is a relatively common idea. Generally, the lucky wisher will use their first wish rashly on something small as they will not believe their luck, or they may use it accidentally on something inconsequential. Either way, it often acts as a way to establish to the character and the audience what they can expect from these wishes. We'll often see in the first wish if we can expect the genie to exploit the exact wording of the wish, or if they are nice and comply with the wisher's intention. After seeing the first wish fulfilled, the wisher generally becomes more careful with their second wish. If the wish grantor follows exact wording, this wish usually still has unexpected consequences despite the wisher's best intention. Finally, the last wish is often used to revert everything back to how it was before the wishes started in the first place. These kinds of stories will end with the message of be careful of what you wish for and taking it to a quite literal sense of the idea. Of course, Billy Duffy isn't interested in outsmarting or maximizing his wishes since he knows he can manipulate the devil to get what he wants. So Billy doesn't fall into these common pitfalls of the trope. Similarly, Jack Spriggins, from his own tale, has a similar situation of not really needing his wishes, so he squanders them. However, I want to point out that Aladdin's original story doesn't have the three-wish limit. He just happens to make three wishes before he loses the magic lamp. Despite this, the trope still pops up here and there and has just become more prevalent in later years. Billy Duffy tricked the devil and won but he also got his just desserts in the end when he was barred from heaven and hell. Sometimes, there is a fate worse than death. This trope is explored in folklore like The Soldier and the Devil, a Russian folktale where the soldier is refused from heaven and hell and has to wander the earth forever. Funeral rituals were also considered important in making sure the deceased would be able to enter the afterlife. In Greek mythology and religion, you placed coins on the eyes of the dead so you would have the fare to pay Charon for passage to the afterlife. If you didn't have the fare, you would be trapped on the riverbed or in the river itself. In the Iliad, Achilles destroys Hector's body but does eventually allow Priam to give him a funeral and the same can be seen in Sophocles' Antigone where Antigone is sentenced to death by King Creon after she buries her brother against his orders. I mean, she does end up killing herself before he can kill her but that still stands. 
Another aspect of this trope includes ghosts. Ghosts in stories like Harry Potter and Casper either have unfinished business, refuse to accept death, or are too scared to accept death. In terms of unfinished business, this could also mean that they are cursed to stay until they fulfill their promises. In Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, the dead man of Dunharo are cursed to be undead after they broke their oath to Isildur, the king of Gondor, and did not come to his aid. They are only allowed to die after they come to Aragorn's aid and fulfill their oath. Billy's final question in the story is quite sad. He finally sees the consequences of his actions and realizes that maybe tricking the devil so many times wasn't the smartest move. Sure, he avoided an afterlife in hell, but he is still in a lonely limbo state between worlds, which sounds very sad. This is the problem with fighting death trope. At the end of the day, death is an important part of life, and immortality is something characters always end up regretting down the line. Whether it's from seeing everyone else they know and love grow old and pass on, or simply that their souls grow weary without their eternal rest. In Greek mythology, Sisyphus cheats death several times. Once, Zeus sends Thanatos, the god of death, to escort Sisyphus to the underworld. But Sisyphus manages to trick Thanatos and trap him with his own chains. With the god of death trapped on earth, nothing can die. This lasts for a long time until Ares, the god of war, frees Thanatos because he is tired of his enemies just not dying. He does a couple of other things to trick the gods and ends up living a long life. The problem is that when he did eventually die and go to the underworld, he had already angered the god of death, Hades, and Persephone. And so Sisyphus was punished by having an afterlife as meaningful as his earthly life. He would forever roll the boulder up a hill, but never be able to get it to the top before it rolled back down. At the end of the story, Billy turns into Will-o'-the-Wisp a ghost light that is usually seen by lost travelers. It has many names around the world, which could be jack-o'-lantern, fairy lights, ghost lights, wandering lights, hinky pinks, or when they're found in graveyards, they can be called ghost candles. My favorite story about this phenomena is about Stingy Jack, which is also thought to be the possible origins of the jack-o'-lantern. The story of Stingy Jack is quite similar to the story of Billy Duffy. He appears to be an Irish man who tricks the devil twice, and as punishment, he's denied entry into heaven or hell. The devil allows him to take some hellfire through the twilight world, and Jack places it into a carved turnip to use as a lantern. When you see a will-o'-the-wisp, then you are seeing the hellfire in Jack's lantern. Other regions around the world have different explanations for this, such as in Mexican folklore, it can be witch lights, as in witches transformed into the lights to travel, or money lights, which indicate where treasures are hidden. In Japan, they could be kitsune or fox fires, and in Korea, they could be goblin fires. Despite all of the folklore, as early as 1596, people have been trying to understand the natural phenomena behind the will-o'-the-wisp. Everything from fireflies to natural gases to bioluminescence organisms have been proposed as possible will-o'-the-wisp sightings. Nowadays, we most commonly see them in video games as trail markers leading to different quest sites. As always, if you want to see the show summary, then subscribe for updates on our website at talesfromenchantforest.com. And if you want to hear more from us, join us on Twitter at From Enchanted or on Instagram, Mastodon, or TikTok by our podcast name. For questions, comments, and guest requests, please send us an email to talesmechantforest at gmail.com. And if you have anything to share, then please don't hesitate. 
Remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard today and what we do here, then please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Thank you.